0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, chef and nutritionist Sid Sheehan from Nourished by Nature will be in studio shortly for his regular monthly slot. I'll be talking to the best restaurant manager in Dublin. Ruth Hegarty will be on the phone explaining what the Chef Network is all about. And finally, at the end of the show, I'll be finding out all about an event that is on this weekend in Dublin. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. So, as I said, the first guest this evening is regular guest Sid Sheehan. Sid is a chef and nutritionist from Listowel, County Kerry and tonight he's in the studio to talk about vegetarian food.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
0: Delicious. Mmm. Said you're very welcome to the studio tonight.
1: Thanks for having me back in again.
0: And the subject tonight is vegetarian food.
1: Vegetarian diet or we'll call it a healthy vegetarian diet.
0: Yeah, I I, I I love whenever I'm out in restaurants now I see in vegetarian dishes on the menu and I would, I could tend to go for them more than I would for a meat dish, depending on what it is of course. Sometimes it can be lacking in flavour They can be a bit disappointing. It can be, yeah. And I know now you're going to have a, a really fantastic rest that we for us, before you go tonight, we'll, we'll wait until the end of the interview to share that. But pens at the ready for the listeners—a bit of a heads up there. um How do be how how can you be healthy when you're just eating vegetarian and you're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins that meat provide to a non-vegetarian?
1: Okay, so to follow a healthy vegetarian diet, people have been following vegetarian diet for hundreds, for thousands of years, and they were perfectly healthy because they ate vegetables. There's so many vegetarians out there that I meet and the first thing they say is I don't really like vegetables so then you're kind of defeating the purpose of following a vegetarian diet that's what it's all about is going back to good plant-based whole foods now you'll come across i certainly have come across vegetarians they live on refined carbs like potatoes bread pasta that's kind of the extent of it we'll look actually at your typical uh vegetarian at the moment in ireland um okay some of them not all of them but we'll take a teenager who decides to be a vegetarian because it's cool or trendy or because their friend is doing it so they're going to do it as well uh, again, look, we're not going to, not saying that everybody that follows a vegetarian diet is doing it for those reasons. Many of them are doing it because of the ethical reasons, because of animal welfare, which is all great. But some of them, their breakfast will consist of cereal. Their mid morning snack will probably consist of chocolate bar, biscuits, or crisps. Their lunch, um, I've certainly seen it myself, probably a white crusty roll or something like that filled with potato salad and a bit of cheese. So, so far up to lunch then, There's very little nutrition gone in there. Dinner time is probably going to be something like pasta with uh, jarred tomato sauce. Um, If you're going to go for something like that, at least make the tomato sauce yourself. Jarred tomato sauce have a huge, um, I think it was actually recently enough, uh, Dolmio or one of the big food producers. They actually came out and they advised their uh, customers not to eat their jarred sauces more than once a week because of the high sugar content in them uh so that could be dinner for your typical vegetarian there's no veg gone in there so far apart from the potatoes or whatever um again it's just high refined carbohydrates very little fiber or complex fiber um complex carbs so um what they should be eating we'll go back and look at some of the benefits of following a vegetarian diet first of all uh so There's no doubt about it, it is a healthy eating plan. Uh, You're going to greatly reduce your risk of an awful lot of chronic degenerative diseases and illnesses. Um, High blood pressure, diabetes, uh, some cancers, cardiovascular disease, cholesterol. These would all be associated with, or a lot of them can be associated with, uh, overconsumption of red meat and animal fat red meat isn't really the problem but it's the processed meats that are problem. problem um, so if you're going to eliminate all of those you're obviously going to re- greatly reduce your risk of developing any of the conditions.
0: Provided you're eating a healthy vegetarian diet not a lot of like processed food, Absolutely, yeah. vegetarian diet. Yeah. So it's,
1: it is common sense you know like you can't expect to follow a vegetarian diet eating uh, bread and pasta with no fruit or veg intake and expect to feel the benefits. Um, a lot of people People, they will suffer fatigue uh, straight off. Uh, They will become anemic uh, because they're not getting the iron in. If you're not getting your iron from red meat, you need to be getting it from green veg so again calcium all the vital vitamins and minerals that you would be getting um, if you're going to have a refined diet you're not going to get what you need
0: but would you need to eat an awful lot of spinach to get the same amount of iron out of that
1: that you would not necessarily any green veg um, so if you were a red meat eater and okay if you change your eating habits and you eliminate red meat 100% and if you're a strict vegetarian once you get in your 3 or 4 portions of green veg so dark leafy green veg are the best sources Um, kale, spinach, rocket, sprouts, cabbages, uh, bok choy, broccoli all of these ones will give you more than enough Uh, so you'll get plenty Uh, Another benefit to a vegetarian diet is it's much easier on your digestion. Meat is difficult to digest. Mm. So animal protein, it is. Mm. And it can put your digestive system under an awful lot of undue stress. So following a vegetarian diet again, you're going to eliminate all of those problems and the associated illnesses that can go with them. Uh, Another thing that you're going to eliminate from your diet If you're a vegetarian Is all the nasty chemicals that are added into processed meats Even look at um, rashers and sausages and stuff like that The amount of nitrates and nitrites These are all food preservatives that are added in there You've got solutions that are pumped with Huge amounts of salt and sugar that are pumped into meat You'd never think that there's sugar put into meat But there's these liquid solutions that are pumped into them So you're uh, eliminating all of those as well something as well if you're eating red meat stuff that you buy in the supermarket if you go in and if you see two nice stripline steaks in a packet and it's really bright vibrant red colour in the packet meat shouldn't really look like that unless it's fresh if you cut a piece of meat and if you leave it exposed to oxygen it's going to turn brown on the, edge, on the outer edges straight away so um, that's an example of chemicals that are put in there they take out the oxygen it's gas flushed and to retain it's bright vibrant colour um, so and of course
0: you have to be careful whenever you're buying the salads and things like that that you should be buying them that they're not pre-packed or anything like that because they're pumping air and different things into those bags of salads as well. yeah we they
1: are uh, they're pumping lots of stuff in there they're taking out the oxygen and they're putting in um, they're just gas flushed um, there's a lot of c- different chemicals and stuff added to them so you'll know yourself if you open a bag of mixed salad leaves it's nice and fresh and crisp looking you open it within half an hour it's wilted that's
0: right yeah we had um, Joanna Blytheman wrote a book called Swallow This and she's okay. been on the show here and that's something that she'd be talking about and about those lettuces being washed like volume. Volumes of them being washed in the same water with God knows what chemicals in it. As yeah, well.
1: they use a it lot st- of yeah. Really. I think they use chemicals like chlorine and stuff like this in yeah. there. They don't really have much place in the human diet, so you know they shouldn't be using them. I don't think any. It's my opinion. Um, there was actually a very good program running, I think, in recent months on RTE. Um, what are you eating? I'd like to see if they would run it again, actually, because each week they'd cover a different topic and it was really, really interesting. And they actually covered um, the salad leaves and stuff like that in one of, their, one of their programs. But anyway, just getting back. So that's some of the benefits associated with a vegetarian diet. Now, what we want to be aware of is if you're following a vegetarian diet, what do you need to be aware of if you're cooking for a vegetarian if you have a child in the family that decides to be vegetarian Um, again for whatever reason it doesn't really matter what their reason is uh, but as a parent you have to ensure that they're getting a good balanced diet that they're getting all the essential vitamins and minerals that they will need Uh, one of my biggest concerns would be children that decide to opt for a vegetarian diet are they getting enough protein protein is vital for children It's vital for everybody, but children in particular, they need it for, it's the building blocks of life, so they need it for um, bone structure, for building muscle, for everything, building the cells in their body. So children need protein. If they're not getting it from animal protein, they need to get it from plant-based protein, uh, which would be things like beans, nuts, seeds, these kind of plant-based proteins.
0: Oh, you say beans is the tin of Heinz baked beans it's, okay. it's not it's there but it's not ideal. Okay,
1: there is protein in the bean but uh, unfortunately it's overshadowed by the amount of sugar that's pumped into them. So really you'd be looking at uh mixed beans, chickpeas, stuff like this. They're really good sources uh bean burgers, uh lentils. Actually the recipe that we're going to go through shortly is um a nice lentil and brown rice burger. So it's a good one especially for kids because you can all the bits inside of it there are kind of easily disguised. So um
0: I got a delicious chickpea and sweet potato curry from Lizzie's Little Kitchen in oh, okay. the Stool Markets there a couple of weeks ago, and was enjoying it at home. When the five-year-old says, "Can I taste it?" I said, "Yes, okay." And she wanted some in her own bowl, and she wanted more than I'd given her, and I was really enjoying it, <laughs> didn't really want to share it, and um, she tasted it and said, "Oh yeah, I like that." And uh, I'd be delighted now that she's eating things like that, but just not that, okay when I was really enjoying it <laughs> and I did not want to share it with her but that's just an aside and there was loads of chickpeas in that and the yeah, sweet potato yeah it's brilliant to
1: start like foods like that they are more commonplace even on menus when you're eating out you go into the shop you can buy a little tub of salad that will have all these bits and pieces inside And but again if you're buying stuff like that in the supermarket be aware it has a shelf life so it will have preservatives in it um, make your own vegetarian food is quite cheap as well to produce so at home it's going to straight away you're going to make a saving with it and um, no, that's the kids and losing out on the protein. Children also need huge volumes of carbohydrate for energy, particularly um, complex carbohydrates. So just to ensure that they get enough of whole grains, brown bread, brown rice, brown pasta, stuff like this, that they're not living on the white refined carbohydrates. Um, teenage girls in particular. Because I think it's when, when a, a girl will hit maybe 12, 13, 14, that's when it's trendy to be vegetarian. And it also correlates with they're starting to go through puberty. So one of the...
0: Do girls tend to go for being vegetarians more so than the males?
1: They do. Um, yeah, the ratio at the moment in Ireland is about two to three. In the past, it would have been more. Um, in the past, it was mainly females that would kind of adopt um, a vegetarian diet. Uh, men wouldn't. There was something wrong with you. You weren't a man if you didn't eat red meat in Ireland. <laughs> but now, it's kind of ratio would be two to three, male to female. So three
0: females to three every females two, two males. Yeah. OK, OK.
1: But um, teenage girls in particular, if you're not getting in the iron from red meat and if they're not eating their green veg and getting that when they do start to menstruate, they are going to to lose out on a lot of iron so if you have a teenage girl who is having heavy periods for whatever reason, she can be losing out on all of her iron stores and then quickly she can develop. Um, Anemia. Or she can become anemic.
0: Okay, so plenty of spinach there and, and the yeah, green veg. Yeah, just do,
1: as a parent, if you are cooking, because let's face it, most teenagers aren't going to be cooking for themselves, they will be relying on parents. Don't rely on stuff like frozen uh, veggie burgers. I don't know if you've ever tried them, but by and large, they consist of grated carrot, sweet corn. They're probably held together with mash, and they're coated in breadcrumbs. That's about all that's in there. So there's no real nutritional value in them.
0: Well, you have a fabulous burger recipe for us now. It's Hopefully, my
1: one is a little bit better than yeah, those kind I, of ones. Yeah, I'm
0: sure it is now. Red lentil and brown rice burger. Now, this isn't the first time a burger has featured. You, you had a lovely burger before for us for one of the the previous shows.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I like to do stuff like this. Um, I always cover something like this at the at the cookery school when I'm doing classes, whatever the class might be. Because first of all, they're budget friendly. All the recipes that I kind of put together, they're always budget friendly for people. It's easy to source ingredients. Uh, you can make them in bulk and hope that the whole family will enjoy them because if you're making something like a burger it's a good way of disguising veggies and stuff for getting into young kids and stuff
0: so what do we need for this recipe
1: okay so your red lentil and brown rice burger not an awful lot of ingredients um so we'll we'll work through it i will put this up on the uh, on the website anyway if anybody misses out so what you need for this this will make six large burgers so one of these is more than enough per person per adult um, if you want, you can make eight or ten slightly smaller ones out of it. So, you'll need 300 grams of red lentils. These are the split lentils, extremely affordable. Um, you'll need 375 grams of cooked brown rice, so that's the cooked weight that you'll need. You need a teaspoon of red chilli, just for a little bit of heat and a bit of flavour. Um, two tablespoons of fresh coriander, finely chopped one red onion finely diced or a white onion, whichever you have handy, Um, two cloves of garlic crushed, plenty of salt and pepper because lentils and rice can be fairly bland, and just a little bit of rapeseed oil for frying. So we'll work through the method. Again, fairly easy to do. You can make them in bulk and you can even freeze them down when they're cooked. So wash the lentils under cold running water um, until the water kind of runs clear. Um, place them in a heavy base pot uh, with 450ml of water bring them up to the boil once they come to the boil reduce the heat keep stirring them until, until the lentils are soft and mushy so they'll break down almost into a paste that's the first stage take them off the heat and leave them to cool down slightly so then at the same time you can cook your brown rice when it's cooked and uh, drained you weigh out 375 grams of it you can use brown long grain you can use brown basmati whichever one you have So then you need to add everything together in the bowl. Place the lentils, the cooked and cooled rice, your chopped onion, your garlic, your chilli, your coriander. You can flavour it with a few other bits and pieces if you want, a little bit of curry powder, a bit of ground cumin, whatever spices you might like yourself. Uh, Season it fairly generously with salt and pepper and give it a good mix. So divide it into six portions if you want nice main course size ones.
0: So that'll stick together as it is.
1: That will hold it because the the starch in the rice will help help to gel it together okay. the lentils when they're cooked into like um, a mush they'll help gel the whole thing together as well uh, divide it into six portions now it's a good idea just to dampen your hands under, um, under a running tap and it's easier to shape them uh, they won't stick to everything shape them into six individual burgers maybe about half an inch in thickness chill them in the fridge then for 30 to 40 minutes until they firm up a little bit
0: so that's the key really to stopping them falling apart when you put them into the pan is to yeah. To- have them the chilled
1: fridge. down you can even have this done a day in advance if you want the longer they're in the fridge the better so the longer you leave them chilled down better better um, In result you'll have uh, so take them back out of the fridge heat some rapeseed oil in a decent nonstick pan and fry them just either side 2 or 3 minutes just until they're browned on the outside and heated through so that everything is cooked in there already you, there's no fear of it being undercooked or anything so it's really just to heat it through have one of those per person and because they're it's a huge source of plant protein, like we discussed. So you're getting that from your lentils. You're getting the complex carbs from your brown rice. It's a good way, really, really filling, really healthy. Very little fat in there. There's no simple carbs or breadcrumbs or anything like that in there. And it has the added bonus as well of being gluten free if your vegetarian happens to be um, gluten free as well.
0: Okay, and you're putting it up on the Nourish by Nature website, which
1: is we're going to get that up on the website, and that is nourishbynature.ie, and you'll also find this on facebook at nourish by nature Listol.
0: lovely sid great to talk to you as always and thanks for sharing that recipe yeah,
1: with it's great us. to be back in sharon thank you
0: cheers chin chin
1: salut Schleiter.
0: thanks again to sid and if you have a nutrition question that you'd like me to put to him on his next visit please drop me an email with all the details to s.noonan at live.ie Still to come tonight, Ruth Hegarty will be on the phone explaining what the Chef Network is all about. And finally, at the end of the show, I'll be finding out all about an event that's on this weekend, the World of Coffee, thanks to Paul Stack from the Speciality Coffee Association of Europe. Next, we are heading to the phone and we're going to talk to Declan Maxwell. Declan was front of house at Michelin Star Restaurant Chapter One for many years before taking a break last year. And uh, Wade Murphy, chef owner at 1826 Adair, told me a few years ago that he's known as the manager. So no surprise that he has won the official accolade at many awards, including the recent Irish restaurant awards. And he's back in the business, so to speak, at Ireland's best restaurant, SMS Luna in Dublin. And I'm delighted to have him on the line now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Declan Maxwell, the best manager in Dublin. How does it feel to have that accolade to your name not just once but three times I believe?
2: Well it's, it's really good Sharon I have to say we, we, we've it's, it's great for me and for the restaurant Luna and it, it was great that we won best service in Dublin as well. Um, so it, it's, it's a good accolade to have. I'm very, very proud to have it. And great to have it from the Restaurant Association of Ireland because it's voted by as well as the public it's voted by your peers as well
0: so best manager and best customer service and then the best restaurant in ireland that's incredible when it's not even a year old
2: yeah we, we're we only open 10 months so we were very shocked to have to get the best restaurant in ireland but it's it's, it's amazing it's an amazing achievement that we, we we we've done um and we're very proud and very happy and the staff here are are amazing, I have to say.
0: Well, for people that have never had the opportunity to visit Luna, just tell us a little bit about the restaurant, what sort of a restaurant it is.
2: Well, it's based, it's New York style, New York Italian. Um, we we kind of have it in a 50s decor. You have the staff who are dressed in Louis Copeland tuxes. Um, then you have large menus. Um, then you have Italian leather boots, um, then the atmosphere in the the restaurant is really, really good. Like We have background music playing, and then when you have everybody talking and everything, the atmosphere is like you would feel you're sitting in the middle of Manhattan or somewhere. Uh, You wouldn't think you were in a basement of a carpet park in Drury Street in Dublin that's for sure.
0: <laughs> now you've come from Chapter 1 which is a Michelin star restaurant so is it a completely different atmosphere and setup for you or are there some similarities there?
2: Well I mean the food with our chef Carl Whelan he he also worked in Chapter 1 and so we have fine food and then obviously the service from myself which is fine service. Of course. But it's in a more relaxed its more fun, but everybody would still have a really good night. That's that's what we're trying to achieve.
0: And I believe there would be lots of clientele in common there with Chapter One. That you do get a lot of the Irish celebrities in on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, we've we've been getting a few in in the in the last last six months, eight months, and and a lot of the Dublin around town crowd. I don't like the word in crowd, but. But like we've been getting a mix of everything, even the age group is from like twenty up to sixty five and everybody seems touch wood, I hope. Everybody seems to be enjoying enjoying the experience. And that's what we want to kind of create is that they have a really good experience when they come here. Um, just good food, good service in a really fun surroundings.
0: Tell me a bit about the menu. Then the specifics of the menu. What sort of starters, main courses, desserts? Give it like. What would your favourite starter, main course, dessert be on the menu?
2: I mean, we have an amazing salumi and sourdoughs, which is a collection of cold meats that people have as a sharing plate to start with, and then because we want to do it Italian style, you have a selection of starters then, which you would have. We have some amazing oysters on. Um, we have a beautiful beef tartare, asparagus, obviously, because it's in season at the moment, with, um, it's just finishing up, but it's a really great dish. Um, we have a beautiful fish soup on. And then the next course, you can go for like a middle course, and we have pasta dishes. So we have a lovely spaghetti with, with uh, truffles, summer truffles. We have a beautiful macaroni with enduja which is a spicy Italian sausage, which is served with some mozzarella and basil. And then, then you have your fish and, and, and meat main courses. So you, we have some beautiful lobster tail on at the moment. That's really, really good, with some frigula and carrot and licorice. And then meats. We do sharing plates as well for people for meats. We have like an amazing bistecca fiorentina, which is um, cooked on the bone so you have the fillet and the rib and you can get different measurements weights, sorry, like 1.2, 1.3 1.4 kilos, so it can be shared between 3 or 4, 5 people and then our winner that's on the menu that everybody's adoring is we have a poached filetto Rossini so we poach a fillet of beef which is cooked medium and then we have shavings of frozen foie gras on top so that's all the, the savoury part. And then we have, we have a beautiful way of doing the desserts, that old great favours, and we have a dessert trolley.
0: Oh, wow. That's, a, that's a, <laughs> like a blast from the past, isn't it?
2: It is. It, it's gone down amazing. I mean, at the beginning, people say not, it's a bit kitsch, but they actually love it now. And we have an amazing tiramisu and a York-style cheesecake. At the moment, we've got this beautiful um, peach jelly on with the peach puree and some peach. And then we have a muscovado cream on top. So yeah, it's really nice because the, the people, when it's wheeled out through, and they're all seeing us they're, they're eating quicker to get to the desserts.
0: <laughs> and I'd say it's a great selling tool as well because you look at the menu and you say, no, nah, I'm not going to have anything. But if you see it there, then it's like, oh, yeah, I have to have some of that because it looks great. Or the other thing that sometimes happens when your dessert comes out and you look at yours and you look at his and you say, I chose the wrong <laughs> thing. I want what <laughs> <That's>, you have.
2: <laughs> you got it exactly right, Charlotte. When you bring a menu on a piece of paper to somebody for desserts, especially, they go, oh, we'll have a look. And then they go, no, no, we're fine. But when they have the trolley and they see it at the table, and it's great. What we're trying to do is like an Italian style. So people can just share dishes. You know, if there's four or five people at the table, if they had three desserts, they put them in the middle. You know, you can take a spoon of everything. And it, it's better than just ordering your own dessert and then leaving it like Joey from Friends and you're not allowed to touch my food kind of a scenario. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean?
0: <laughs> Which one is your favorite, your personal um, favorite dessert? A dessert,
2: the tiramisu is really, really good. And that's been on since the beginning and and the cheesecake, those two and the others, then we move the two or three more that we move around. But we have the tiramisu and cheesecake on since the very beginning.
0: It sounds good now. sounds delicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's Definitely. the worst thing about this show, listening to people talking about all of this food. And talking
2: about yeah. food. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, it's the exactly. best thing as well. So whenever you took the, the job on last year, Declan, it, you really were kind of, you had come out of chapter one, you were taking a bit of a break, you weren't really looking for anything. So I would imagine you maybe took this on saying like, I'll give you a hand here just to get you up and running, but you're still there a year later.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's probably a good way of pushing us when, when John Farley, who owns the restaurant, approached me and said, would you, would you come on board? I said, well, look, Sir John, I'll come on to give you a hand and we can get it set up and we can see how, how it goes. And yeah, as you say, a year later, I'm loving it. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great place. And I, I think it's, it's going to be an institution in Dublin. That's what I think it, it's going to, go, it's where it's going.
0: If people want to get in touch, do they, do they need to book or can they walk in? You're open Tuesday well, to Saturday and it's dinner only, I believe. Yeah, we,
2: we do Tuesday to Saturday, dinner only. But on Friday, we open at two o'clock. So we do a long day. So we call it like a, a, a long lunch. So people can come in from two o'clock onwards. We don't have a set menu. It is the same lunch menu. It's the same, it's the same dinner menu from two o'clock. So we start to that about... Four weeks ago and it's been going very well and then the rest is dinner only and we open from 5 till 11 and we have a really good pre-theatre menu as well which runs from 5 to 6.30 which is 30 euros for four courses which includes tea and coffee Um, and reservations would be recommended especially the weekends but again we have our bar area so people can dine at the bar as well So if they come in and the restaurant is full, again, getting back to New York style, they can sit at the bar and dine at the bar as well. And they have the same menu as everybody else.
0: And I think that's probably a good option as well for people that are maybe dining on their own. They like, you know, if I'm somewhere and I'm by myself, I quite like to sit up at a bar to dine as opposed to at a table by myself.
2: Yeah, it's very comfortable. And we, the restaurant is designed, we are in the basement of Jewry Street car park, but we have a big long window on street level so when you look up you don't feel like you're in a basement at all and then it's great people watching because you have people walking by and they're looking into the restaurants and, and everybody talks about that feature it's really really good
0: Well congratulations on winning the best restaurant in Ireland. It certainly has gone up on my list of places to to visit because there's so much happening in the food scene in Dublin if you're not a regular visitor to the the city you can be kind of like where will I go but um, Luna is definitely the top of my list now so well done on being the best manager in Dublin also Declan you know now your West Limerick pal down here Wade Murphy (laughs) I believe that is his nickname for you and not just his I'd say (laughs) you are the manager that is what you're yeah, called that is, that is my nickname in, that I'm Yeah, in the that. culinary scene that is it so um, you know you're certainly entitled to it that's for sure great right. to talk to you this evening thanks so much for joining us on the show thanks, and hope, Sharon. hopefully we'll catch up in Dublin soon
2: good to talk to you see you again soon
0: you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan, and if you've missed any of the shows so far tonight, it'll be up in the podcast later in the week. Check out soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Still to come tonight, we'll be finding out about the world of coffee, but before that, there's a new network for chefs in Ireland. Chef Network Ireland is connecting all of Ireland's chefs to communicate, collaborate, share and innovate, and the network's head of community, Ruth Hegarty, is on the phone now to tell us all about it. Cheers. Chin chin.
1: Salut. Sleighter.
0: Ruth, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Chef Network, tell us what exactly it is.
3: Well, Chef Network is essentially um, exactly what it says. It's a professional um, network for chefs um, all across Ireland, so Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Um, And it's an open, inclusive network for chefs. So it's for chefs from all sectors, so whether you're a chef in the kind of traditional restaurant hotel sector or whether you're in a cafe or bar or whether you're in you know contract catering, private catering so on, um, it's for you. And um, it's also for chefs at all levels in their careers. So right through from, you know, first year students or commie level in the kitchen through to your executive chefs, um, chef proprietors. Um, and really what we're trying to do is build a really strong community um, amongst chefs all across the island of Ireland.
0: This is a relatively new group or initiative. Why has it started? What's the objective of it, and who's behind it?
3: Yeah, so it it was launched officially in mid February, so it is very new indeed. Um, And I suppose one of the big drivers behind it, Sharon, is um, the the shortage of chefs across the country, which I'm sure you're you're aware of, and I've heard there's been a lot of coverage um, on you know in the media um, about the shortage of chefs and. i've been involved with the industry for for quite some time now and particularly over the last five or six years it's almost reached crisis point in terms of um people you know looking for chefs and not being able to find the skills that they that they need in, in the kitchen and um, so that's certainly one of the kind of motivating factors behind it and um, the chef network has been started um, and supported by ifsa who are the irish food service suppliers alliance and essentially they um, Want to help drive the the industry and make the the industry really vibrant and support chefs and get something back to chefs who are their 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 customers. Um, so they've been funding the setup of this, and we went out. I suppose going back to um, last year, we started a consultation, and we went out and talked to chefs all across different sectors, um, and the, and did some consultation workshops where we we looked, talked to chefs about. Know, what they would like chef network to do and what it should be about and the really strong consensus from chefs was you know that they did want to come together across sectors and work together and that they really wanted to focus on trying to make their industry better and um, so as we said you know what we're trying to do broadly is build a really strong community of chefs but the objectives behind doing that are to attract people in the industry and also keep people in the industry because there's a huge problem with you know people being maybe trained through the education system but not lasting in the industry so that's one of the things that we want to try and address but we also want to address continuous professional development for chefs Um, and a big focus for us is um, you know encouraging mentoring but also expanding the knowledge base of chefs and so looking beyond just the culinary skills into what other skills chefs need to have longevity in their careers so whether that might be business skills, people management skills and so on. Um, so really it's about bringing professionalism to the industry um, and showing people you know, that there's really good career paths and there's a huge variety of career paths in the industry and to make, to, to make it a better industry to work in and to really um, try and improve the quality of life for chefs.
0: Something that I have come to realise since I started meeting chefs through the radio show here is that really the top chefs always take time out of the kitchen they always go and do stages in other people's restaurants and they would attend a lot of symposiums all over the world to hear other chefs speak so there certainly is value in taking time out of the kitchen and investing it in a network of this nature
3: absolutely and you know chefs are so committed to what they do and so passionate so they are you know, they are willing to give their time to things like this to, um, to kind of improve their industry and to give something back to their industry. But, I mean, obviously, it's a hugely, you know, it's a usually time-consuming job and it's it's very busy when you're running a restaurant. So it's, it's not easy. And we're trying to make this as accessible for people um, to be part of it as possible. So, um, you know, it's, it's quite online-based with the, the website where we'll have these communities and discussions and we'll be building a resource library there for chefs. But then we'll also be... Running events around the country, regionally, um, meetups, I suppose, gatherings of chefs to, to discuss some of the ideas um, as to what we can do to make the industry better and to try and kind of get local networks happening so the chefs can collaborate with each other. Um, but you're right, I mean, you know, the best chefs do a lot of things outside of the kitchen. And, um, you know, interestingly, looking at things like the world's 50 best restaurants. Um, and the kind of criteria for that, you know, one of the things that they're looking for is, you know, outside of the plate, outside of the kitchen, you know, what are, what are these chefs doing that's kind of beyond just what you see on the plate? And it's, it's those things around, you know, giving back to the industry or sustainability projects and so on. And these are the kind of things that we want chefs to start talking to each other about and sharing ideas with each other on.
0: You said there about a lot of it is online, but obviously it is very important to have the face-to-face contact and last week you had an event in Galway. Tell us a bit about that.
3: Yeah, that's right. So we've been we've been doing some gatherings around the country. Um, we had one in Belfast in May and then the most recent one was in Galway last week. Um, and we started off the the day with a food tour around Galway. Um, a girl called Sheena Digland does Galway food tours, which is a walking tour essentially in the city centre of some of the kind of iconic um, food outlets in the cities um, bakeries, cheese and um, pubs with you know craft beer offerings and so on. So we did a lovely kind of two-hour tour there um, and it was a really good way of just getting the group of chefs um, together chatting with each other and you know with both sharing their passion for food um, and then we finished that up in Kai Cafe and Restaurant, Jeff Murphy's restaurant in Galway. Um and we we did a very informal gathering there um, and discussed some some topics um around how how we can make the industry better and um one of our topics for discussion was looking at how we can encourage female chefs um and you know how we can kind of I suppose encourage um female chefs to support each other in in the industry um, and build confidence in in women in the industry to kind of put themselves forward and put themselves out there. Um, But we also we also spoke about the whole area of you know mentoring and how chefs can reward their staff and motivate their staff. Today at the meeting we um, started work on a charter for chefs um, in relation to how they treat their staff and how they work with their staff in the kitchen um and the focus on this is really um to help chefs to keep their staff by rewarding what they do and motivating them in 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 various ways by you know by building the the atmosphere in the kitchen by building sense of camaraderie in the kitchen by acknowledging when people do things well um so we kind of started putting together the points that are going to make up that that chef network charter Um, And that's something that we're going to, you know, we'll we'll talk to other chefs about and um, hopefully over the next couple of months we'll come up with something that, you know, chefs can sign up to to say "This this is what I'm going to strive towards in my kitchen.
0: You mentioned mentoring there and mentoring their staff in the kitchen, but I would imagine a network like this is a great opportunity for some of the student chefs that are participating to identify and say, gosh, you know, would you mind being my mentor? And that could be a fantastic contact for them.
3: Absolutely. And that is, you know, mentoring is a word that I've obviously used a few times and that's a really key word for Chef Network because mentoring has always been hugely important to this industry. And, you know, we talk to any chef um, who's been in the industry for a while and they'll have, you know, someone key or a few key people in their career who mentored them and kind of kept up their their interest in, in the industry and um, so we definitely want to look down the road at developing that a bit more and looking at having a mentoring program through Chef Network. Um, but even at the moment, I mean, what was really fantastic to see at last week's event was that some students who had recently graduated from Killibags, um and who live in Sligo had traveled down to Galway um, to come to this event and meet you know the local chefs in Galway because they hope to move to Galway and find jobs here um, so they're they're really eager to kind of come and make those contacts and I think they they did do they did that at the event last week which is fantastic.
0: Did you have a good spread of people in terms of the students you mentioned there and the more experienced chefs and you have some from from Sligo and obviously some from Galway?
3: Yeah, so we actually had um, chefs who travelled from Donegal, Sligo, Clare, um, as well as Galway. And we, they included culinary arts lecturers from GMIT, um, people from the hotel sector, restaurant sector, um, and as I said, students. So, yeah, so it was a fantastic cross-section. And, and that's what we're looking for. You know, that's what Chef Network is all about. And we really want to be talking to a, a really cross-sectoral group of chefs all the time.
0: Well, you mentioned it is a membership organisation. Is there a charge to join?
3: No, so it's free to join. As I said, it's um, it's quite online based. So the website is chefnetwork.ie and it's completely free to to sign up there. Um, And um, we, you know, we're building it at the moment. It's, It's certainly still early days, but we really need to kind of encourage as many chefs as possible to sign up, um, so that we can get as much activity going as possible around the country, um, and we're working on building, you know, content that's really valuable to, to chefs. So we've actually recently completed a series of um, pork butchery videos, which were supported by Board Bia, um, and our aim is to to produce, uh, to you know, on an ongoing basis, to produce skills videos um, and product videos that are of interest to chefs, and as I said, also look at other areas outside of culinary skills that can benefit chefs, um, whether it's in business, business management, um, people skills, and so on. So we're going to try and, you know, over the coming months and years to build this really valuable resource library for chefs, and this will be, you know, the place um, that chefs can go to to find information. Um, but the really important thing is also the opportunity just for chefs to share their knowledge with each other so it's those discussions and it's the opportunity to just put a question out there to the community of chefs and um, you know whether it's like how to use a seasonal ingredient that you've come across whether it's an you know an issue you've had you have in the kitchen around managing staff you know you can either reach out directly to another member in the network, or you can reach out to a group, um, or you can reach out to the whole community, you know. Um, and I should mention also that there's a job board on Chef Network, so you know, anyone who is looking for chefs um, can advertise there, or if you're a chef who signed up, you can, you can post your job vacancies for free on
0: the site. Well a really inspiring initiative Ruth as you said there the website is chefnetwork.ie and there's lots of different resources there. Best of luck with it and be sure to let us know if you've any events coming up so we can give them a shout out here on the show. Fantastic,
3: thank you so much Sharon.
0: You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's to find out more about the World of Coffee event that is on this week in Dublin. Paul Stack is the president of the Speciality Coffee Association of Europe and joins us on the phone now.
2: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
0: Delicious. Mmm. Mmm. Paul, you're very welcome to the show this evening and you're going to tell us a bit about the World of Coffee event that's taking place starting this Thursday and it runs until Saturday in Dublin.
4: Yes, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, Yeah, the World of Coffee comes to Dublin this week. Uh, It is the Speciality Coffee Association of Europe's uh, flagship event which happens uh, annually in a city in Europe. So, uh, for example, it's been in it's been in Nice, it's been in London, in in Gothenburg, in Sweden, in recent years, and uh, it'll go on from Dublin to Budapest and Berlin and Amsterdam in the next three years. And this year it's our turn, so we'll be hosting uh, uh, the the world of specialty coffee predominantly. Uh, specialty coffee is it's really a, an association which tries to drive for quality in the coffee chain right from the farm to the creation of the beverage that's handed to the consumer in the coffee shop or hotel or where everyone gets it.
0: Now coffee is a huge phenomenon in the world now and you're expecting over 10,000 visitors from more than 100 countries to, to come to Dublin for this event, which is huge for the tourism industry here.
4: Yeah, it's very significant in terms of what it's doing uh, for, for Dublin in terms of bringing that many visitors uh, over what's probably a five-day period. Uh, because as we speak, there's a a coffee symposium running, um, and that would be then followed by the World of Coffee on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, yeah, we'll have about 10,000 to 12,000 visitors uh, all spending their money in Dublin, which is great, and uh, ultimately what they're here to do is to uh, both visit a trade show, uh, a trade show whereby you can see and uh, engage with the best of everything from coffee equipment to green coffee for roasters to buy to uh, to actually roasted coffee to everything in between and uh, also featuring at the show are things like the World Barista Championships which is uh, you the know, 62 countries sending their national champion to Ireland to slog it out over making the very best cup of coffee and then you've got the World Brewers Championship as well uh, where the barista championship is espresso-based from this, an espresso machine and the brewer is uh, is more like a what we would know as a filter coffee championship. So those championships are going on, seminars will be going on, trade shows, lots of tastings, uh, coffee cuppings and uh, different things like that.
0: Well we're going to talk about coffee cupping in a second but before we do I just want to ask you whenever it comes to competitions like the World Barista Championship and the World Brewers Cup, how does Ireland fare? Like, What are we like whenever it comes to the skills and expertise that are required to make a really champion barista?
4: Yeah we punch pretty pretty well above our weight um, for such a, a small country we've uh, got the, uh, the the glory of having won the thing once a gentleman called Stephen Morrissey uh, who originally worked in uh, in Bewley's and then went on to work in, in London and in the States and currently is actually working in the States uh, with uh, the sister association of the Speciality Coffee Association of Europe the Speciality Coffee Association of America and Stephen won it in 2008 in Copenhagen and uh, over the last 10 years or so um, particularly since Stephen won it we've had a very strong showing at the World Bristol Championships with uh, a guy called Colin Harman uh, winning us uh, in Ireland uh, three times and placing in the top six, which is really a remarkable achievement because the standards have gone so high. Uh, this year Natalia will, um, will represent us for the second year and uh, she's really a wonderful barista and has actually been down in Australia training with the current world barista champion uh, to try and hone her skills to give us the best shot. Uh, We've we've a a bit of a sad story on the Irish Brewers' Cup champion this year, a wonderful barista named Rachel Wynne, who won the Irish Brewers' Cup, um, but sadly had uh, had been suffering from cancer even as she competed earlier in February and and died um, a short while back. Uh, So in in, in respect to her and her family, we won't have a representative in the Irish Brewers' Cup this year, um, as she will remain our champion for this year.
0: Yeah, very sad indeed, and sympathies to her family, of course. You were talking about cupping then, and there's a cupping room. Just explain what cupping is all
4: about. Sure, yeah. Uh, Coffee cupping is the term used to select uh, coffees. So, for example, a roaster, a a company that roasts coffee, gets the coffee in what's called green form. So they would buy bags of green coffee, which are a little bit like uh, hard peas, if you like, in terms of visually. And... uh, so they're roasted and then they're put into what's like a, a soup bowl soup bowls so they're put in with a fixed ratio of ground roasted coffee to hot water of around about 55 grams to a liter as a ratio and uh, and they're let settle for about 4 minutes and then the tasters would take what's like a small soup spoon and they would slurp almost like you're allowed slurp your soup they would slurp the the coffee out of these uh, soup bowls to try and get both the uh, the sense of sweetness and bitterness and the balance on the on the tongue as well as trying to get the flavors through your nose in terms of uh, you know there's different fruit flavors and floral flavors which would come through in coffee uh, because as you as you take flavors in through your nose it's where you get the, the nuances of flavor Um, And uh, so, yeah, coffee cuppings are open to all who attend to go and taste some of these amazing coffees being sold around the world in the specialty industry.
0: There's similarities then with wine tasting and beer tasting and whatnot in terms of the way you do it. It's not just a case of lift it up, drink it, and away you go. The glass, the cup, all of these things have implications on what you taste.
4: Very much, yeah, very much. I mean, uh, the the coffee industry is... is, uh, Following the trend, I suppose, of what I went before with both the wine and more recently in the craft beer industry in terms of the, uh, the popularity of those different nuances that come from different, you know, processes and different flavor profiles. Uh, but actually, you know, we teach in the Specialty Coffee Association of Europe, uh, we teach uh, about sensory skills and actually the teaching is the same for all of these codes in terms of the core skills of sensory analysis. Uh, but there's a, a growing demand and, a grow, and an increased uh, interest in sensory skills to, to so people can understand everything that they consume in terms of from wine to beer to coffee, and they can select in a, in a, in a more learned way.
0: It is primarily a trade-type event, but at the weekend or on sat- this Saturday, the public can go along and there's lots of things for them to enjoy.
4: Yeah, I mean, traditionally the world of coffee has always been on the weekdays, uh, but with the explosion of interest in uh, home baristas, people who buy their whole bean coffee, grind it at home, brew it at home. And, uh, they've you know, things like Nespresso has also opened the eyes of consumers away from instant and into... Uh, into more um, professionally graded and and brewed coffee. Uh, So there's a growing interest at consumer level, and we're aware in the Speciality Coffee Association of Europe that we've tended to ignore them. So the event now will run Thursday through Saturday, and on Saturday consumers can come. Uh, There is a small fee uh, to get in, which I think is 30 euros uh, and they can get in at the door. They can go and experience these cuppings. They can go to some of the seminars, listen to, to some of the best practices in, in coffee, as well as enjoying some of the championships where the uh, World Baristas will be at play. And on Saturday will be the finals themselves. So it'll be quite an, uh, quite an exciting day for the barista community.
0: And the baristas then, as part of the the judging, what do they have to do? Do they have to make different types of, like an espresso, a latte, a flat white? What is the... Or do they not know beforehand? Is it kind of a secret what they have to do at the time?
4: No, it's quite a set a set format. Uh, and what the, the baristas have to do is they have 15 minutes in which they have to produce uh, four espressos, four cappuccinos and four signature drinks. And the signi- signature drink can be anything at all that they wish to add to espresso uh, except alcohol. So they make, a, if you like, a non-alcoholic coffee cocktail, if you will. Uh, which can, can, uh, has no boundaries in terms of the limits of their innovation and what they wish to try to achieve. And then the judges, uh, there, there's four sensory judges who judge, who judge from a sensory viewpoint uh, the, the experience of the delivery uh, as well as judging the performance of the barista themselves from a customer, customer service viewpoint. And then there's, there's two technical judges and they're judging how they're using the machinery, how clean they're leaving their barista station, uh, while there's a head judge overseeing all of it. So because it's such a high accolade now to win the World Barista Championship, it's really quite a high level of integrity, which is uh, insisted upon at judging level to make sure that everybody gets a fair crack at the whip.
0: I'm very intrigued with the coffee cocktail. Can you give me an example of of some of the creations that people might produce?
4: (laughs) Um well I, one that comes to mind immediately is uh, one that uh, Colin Harmon brought to the world Bristol championships in uh, in Melbourne a couple of years ago where he actually created uh, what was mimicking a bottle of Guinness so what he did was he used espresso and then bottled it with a with some added you know, products, if you like, and capped it into bottles, and then served it to the sensory judges by uncapping and pouring. And by by the work he had done in terms of nitrogen infusion on the bottle, he actually poured it out so that it mimicked a pint of Guinness, but was, in fact, a cold coffee brewed, brewed right there for them and capped right there for them. Wow. That, was a, that was a pretty amazing one. And, uh, yeah, there was another one which is very memorable, which is a number of years ago whereby um, it was a a guy from the UK uh, who looked at the the core sensory elements of of a cup of coffee in terms of sweet and uh, nutty and, you know, acidic and things like that and asked the judges which do they prefer. Do they like, you know, macadamia nuts or cashew nuts or peanuts? Do they like uh, a a maple syrup sweetness or do they like a, a a white sugar sweetness? And let them choose what their favorites were and in front of them within this 15 minutes created the beverage that they said was closer to their wants and and uh and had all of these ingredients so he would about 16 to 20 ingredients on stage from which he made a new beverage every time he did his little performance so pretty amazing stuff goes on i've, I've, I've seen things like uh, uh like um, liquid nitrogen on stage you know it's Amazing what these these guys come up with. So it
0: sounds like there's a bit of theatre in it.
4: It's very much yeah.
0: So well worth going along to it. If people want to get more information, where's the best place for them to go?
4: If you go to good old Google and type in World of Coffee Dublin, it'll bring you straight to the site where you can see what's going on as well as uh, register for tickets.
0: Well, good luck to everybody that's um, shortlisted there for the championships, the Barista Championship and the Brewer's Cup. We wish them all the best and we'll be keeping an eye on it to see how they get on. Thanks for talking to me this evening, Paul. A pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Chin-chin.
1: Salut. S'launter.
0: Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show Thanks so much for your company and to all of this evening's guests, Sid Sheehan, Declan Maxwell, Ruth Hegarty and Paul Stack. Until next week, bon appétit.